This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Sumit Charan and Alexi Steinman, Vice Presidents respectively for the 2021 and 2020 period at SOMI, a student-led society promoting innovation in the medtech sector and inspiring students to not wait for graduation before seeking to make a difference. We discuss the inspiration for the society to help students from the University of New South Wales feel more comfortable with the idea that they can actually make an impact now in the medtech field and not necessarily wait before graduating. Additionally, Sumit and Alexi share their vision for the SOMI Technology Consulting Program, or TCP, to help provide students a chance to learn from experienced networks whilst offering companies an opportunity to expand the market research, its employee network and business network with emerging medtech students. There are established businesses within healthcare who can see problems or opportunities, but given their size, scale or existing processes, they find it hard to innovate or attempt new approaches with medtech or health tech. SOMI's TCP enables industry and opportunity to work with students and empower the students to actually consult or develop prototypes and not just do, as Sumit says, lackey type work experience. The natural trade-off is invaluable real-world experience for the students to experience what it's like to add value to a business whilst offering the business lower-cost approaches to undertake R&D or experiment with solutions to known problems. So if you're operating a healthcare or health tech business right now and you're thinking about that new project or idea to trial in your market, this discussion will offer some great insights and potentially an avenue to make it happen. Let's jump in. Hey there, Samit and Alexi. How are you doing? Hello, Yanni. Thank How you. are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for uh, coming along today. We're going to find out a little bit about uh, what you guys get up to in uh, the context of SOMI. Before we get into where you're at with the University of New South Wales, let's break down the acronym for our listeners, S-O-M-I. What does it stand for and, and what's it all about? Sure. So uh, SOMI stands for the Society of Medical Innovation. It's interesting because Society of Medical Innovation tends to get people to think that SOMI is an exclusive society just for medicine students or for biomedical engineering students. But look at me, I'm doing civil engineering and material science and I was the VP. So you can definitely get involved even if you're a business student and we do have projects coming up in some future events and programs which are more tailored to people who are not from a biomedical or medicine background. Uh, But we do have a lot of that as well. So we do try to encourage biomedical and medicine students to join us. So the reason why SOMI began was because we noticed that students tend to believe that they can't have an impact on the industry or on the world until they graduate and get a job. We'll take a different approach to that. So we realized that there are a lot of startups that are starting to pop up around Australia especially in the medtech field. And we thought, why not capitalize on that? See what kind of opportunities we can get between these startups, maybe even academia, but mostly industry and students and see what kind of opportunities lie beneath that surface. 
Absolutely. Samit, what's your take and how would you describe SOMI? As Alexis said, uh, I would say it's a real mesh of just getting everyone together because we want to get people to actually use their skills that they learn in uni before they even graduate. So I joined two years ago and as after one year, I straight away got into an internship from SOMI of a field I would never have ever tried before. And it was really interesting just to see working with a growing startup named Contactile, actually, but working on robotics. And it was really eye-opening just to actually see, hey, something I've done in uni can actually have practical uses. So <laughs> it's a real eye-opening experience, I would say. Yeah, look, it's interesting. I remember my uni days, uh, the lecturers used to often drop the term uh, in the real world. And it was really quite fascinating because I thought, where am I right now, you know? <laughs> but um, I guess there is that linkage between the theory and reading concepts and um, frameworks and research and then kind of connecting that with how it's applied, industry and commerce in government, regulatory settings and the like. Given the context of medical innovation, what are you hoping to achieve aside from the encouraging of students to sort of break those barriers of sort of saying, look, you don't have to graduate before you can actually make an impact on the world or, or attempt to make an impact or start that process. Is there a higher goal? Or is it really just about encouraging undergraduates to take a step towards startup or to look at innovation in the medical field? I would say one of our higher goals really is to just facilitate a pathway to the med tech field, not just for students, as you said, but also for the startups. So as we said, students would want to gain the experience, but we want the startups to actually be able to get good employees, potential people that can work with them in the future and get them to grow to the point where they can actually compete with bigger businesses that are already established, such as the ResMeds, the Cochleas, getting a lot of more medtech startups to be bigger in a sense. So growing that field a lot. And there's uh, a lot going on in healthcare broadly. It does seem to have a, a bit of a track record of a lot of attempts at getting things going. But what I find is that technology is, is rarely the impediment. It's more the culture within the uh, healthcare system. Does that resonate at all with both of you? Are you getting that sense of feedback from your own community around where the innovation restrictions might be? I mean, you, you talk about the undergraduates perhaps thinking themselves out of making change and and so the society has a role to play in, in encouraging that and, and accepting that as a possibility but what do you think some of the some of the barriers are i think you're right iani there is a lot of cultural barriers to entering the medtech field in australia and especially because we are uh, in fact a very heavily regulated society so especially if you want to start any medtech startup you're going to have to go through tga you're going to have to go through all these things just to get your product to market so a lot of people are turned off by that. And as a result, they end up going to different fields or they end up just not even doing startups to begin with. And it's, it's not just startups, it's, uh, it's companies as well. If you want to bring a product to market, there, is a lot of, there are a lot of things that you need to do, clinical trials. You need to make sure that your science is on point and everything like that. So I do think that there is a bit of that and it does precipitate a little bit to the students where they see that it's really hard to make an impact in medtech just based on all of these uh, regulations and everything that's going on with the field. But there are still things that they can do and that's what we realized and that's what we want to give opportunities to the students to basically discover for themselves. Just to add on to that, I've had like personal experience where I was thinking biomed, I'm going to have to spend 20 years just to get a company started. 
And then after joining SOMI, I saw so many people with just ideas. They just thought, oh, let's see where I go. And I was thinking, hey, don't need to actually just stick to one route and think, oh, it's going to take 20 years. Just see where I go. I can see there's so much passion and so much innovation in this industry. So I said it before, but I'm saying it again because it's so true. It's an eye-opener to see that we can actually do something and build it whatever path we can, try and speed it up. There's this uh, classic saying, uh, I think it might have been from Ford, which is, might be paraphrasing someone here, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Either way, you're right. And that's a really powerful notion when it comes to innovation. The prevailing culture doesn't think outside the box because it's it's been trained, educated, uh, there's continuous professional development, there's a whole bunch of pre-established uh, and robust and appropriate ways of uh, doing things. And that's great in with respect to what it's actually focusing on, but uh, there are a tremendous amount of gaps in healthcare and a lot of those gaps represent new problems to solve and new opportunities to identify, which ultimately produce enhancement or a, an, an evolution there to provide a healthcare service experience for consumers that addresses the gap or takes it to the next level with respect to where it's at. So I think that innovation energy needs to be very much part of culture and encouraged. Part of the art of it is to bring diverse community representatives or um, parties that are stakeholders that are in the actual group together as much as possible and really encourage that so that it becomes a meshing of the the legacy, the current and the potential and bring those things together. How's your experience been through your own undergraduate progress and, and meeting some of the communities and networks around the um, SOMI and the University of New South Wales and other kind of med tech communities? Yeah, I think I think that very much reflects in what I've experienced, especially outside of uni during my university degree. I think as part of SOMI, the industry team is uh, not only in charge of making sure that we get companies to get involved with our programs, but also to make sure that we are maintaining a large array of network and a diverse network of people who could offer us resources to be able to do what we do. So people like the uh, UNSW founders who sponsor us this and last year, and even people like the Dean of, of Medicine at UNSW, who we ended up following up with them and we were able to advertise to their faculty through his uh, unit at the, at the university. So it really helps to even get out there and go to general medicine or biomedicine event just to meet people who are doing different things in the industry, but who could all come together to achieve essentially what you said, opportunities for people and innovation. Throughout most of our events, we've actually seen a lot of different people coming in. So one of our hackathons we had before COVID times when we could actually see the people. I saw one first year, they were just doing their first hackathon, first time, and they were talking to this seasoned veteran. They had their startup established for 10 years and they were just talking about, hey, what's the go? How do you do this? And they were just having a good chat, seeing all the generations cross over and just talking about everything. It was really great to see that everyone just connects in this industry. Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's really powerful when you get the crowd together. It uh, it unlocks a lot of resource, and I think it's a really powerful idea because I, I think uh, another observation I've made. I wonder whether you've had the same type of experience. Is that because we are iterating as a society, as as a, as a community, the legacy approach or the way that we're currently uh, doing things also tends to have vested interests. 
and parties that really don't want the change. And that's because it's taken them, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years to establish themselves, to be in a particular position of strength or dominance in terms of that prevailing way of doing things. That can act as a counter energy towards innovation where that kind of self-interest gets involved. And the reason I kind of touch on this is that that established way of doing things tends to also have a lot of resource that it could make available to sponsor or support or fund startup initiatives. And it has a very discerning eye on what is going to be strategically aligned with its own interests. That doesn't always translate to being the best outcome for humanity, for society, for people. And what I think is understated about crowd sourcing and collaboration and I guess co-design and co-making things is that it offers an opportunity for other energy and other thoughts and other ideas to reach a position of strength and reach a position of dominance and kind of break through because it breaks away from the dependency of those established funding streams or those established capital channels to actually get something done. What are your thoughts on this? To be honest, I think that in terms of the medtech industry, it's it's probably one of the industries where I've seen that happen the least. I've seen it happen in the oil and gas industry. I've seen it happen in a lot of the other industries that I've been exposed to. Um, I mean, I'm in civil and infrastructure, and it definitely happens there to some extent. I think that in Australia, the community in medtech is small enough where there is a lot more collaboration than hindrance, although I'm sure it exists to an extent and definitely it will grow as the industry grows. But I think I think you're right in saying that there are a lot of big established companies out there. I mean, things that come to my head, uh, to the top of my head are Cochlear, ResMed. Uh, those kinds of companies have vast amount of resources, but I also know that they sponsor research at the universities. I know that they sponsor university societies, which uh, are similar to us, and they do similar events to us. And that also fosters innovation. And I think that moving forward, we're going to start to see more of that, especially because of COVID, because companies are also starting to realize that universities are a cheap and smart resource compared to hiring someone who's uh, in the industry doing R&D. If you hire a bunch of students to do some thinking for you, it's, it's much easier for a company to be able to take upon ideas and especially save costs. And that's exactly what we're doing with our technology consulting program as well. Well, tell us, that's a, that's a good segue into the TCP, the Technology Consulting Program. So tell us a little bit about what it is and why it was started and what you hope to achieve with it. There are a lot of societies at UNSW at the moment who are doing a lot of consulting programs. You have a lot of management consulting going on in that and some technology consulting as well, but no technology consulting specifically geared to the medtech industry. And we saw ourselves as in the perfect position with the right resources to be able to establish something like that. So last year we decided, okay, let's contact a bunch of startups and put out an expression of interest to students and see what we can make out of this. So we came up with a six week program where we had 30 students working on, I think it was nine or 10 different projects. And in the end, they ended up saving the companies about $70,000 overall. And that's quite substantial for a few startups to come together and save that much money. And for the students, it gave them a lot of experience. And we even offered prize money because we were being sponsored as well. So we could afford it. 
the students had quite a lot of incentive. We also arranged for engineering students to receive industrial training from it, which all engineering students at UNSW have to do 60 days of. So I think that they could receive 30 or 45 days out of that. Better estimate because he's the one who actually did the program last year. But yes, at the end of the day, startups get labor from students and not just any cheap labor, but smart labor from people who are technically involved and uh, innovative because they haven't been exposed to so much yet. And the students get a lot of experience and even potential jobs down the line with the startups. And I'll just add on to that. As Lexi said, I did the program last year and I was one of the inaugural candidates. I worked for Contactile. It's a robotics company. They've recently blossomed and they're growing rapidly right now. And what was really great about it was, as I said, I got 30 days of work experience off with that. But also I could just see how a startup works and how if I were in a company in Biomed, this is what I would be doing. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. I was thinking I'll just be like doing Excel spreadsheets all day or just like writing annoying code. But I asked my boss, Heber, she was great. And she said, yep, if you want to do something else, we'll get you to do something else. I ended up doing a bit of marketing, a bit of just general report writing, bit of coding there. And it was great to see like all the exposure I got from it. And that was during COVID when I was just talking to her through Zoom. So I imagine if we were doing it in person, there'd be a lot more value that we can gain. You could see every single one that's at the company, see the whole company as a whole picture and really gain an insight into whatever industry you're looking to get into. Just to bounce off of that, something that we really try to highlight to companies is that we are not offering interns. We are offering consultants who are not going to be doing your grunt work. They're going to be working on a project and they're going to offer valuable advice. And a lot of companies like that because they don't want dumb people that uh, punch some numbers on the screen. They want smart people who are engaged with the project from start to finish and they can produce a, uh, a valuable solution. Yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to join the program because it wasn't something where I'd just be pushing buttons, something I could actually use my mind into doing. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you making the uh, distinction there because that is one of the keywords in the actual acronym technology consulting program. So your call to action to industry is to get involved with uh, SOMI and the TCP to do that at least once a year, I believe you run the program, uh, to put forward a problem to solve and an idea to think through for the various uh, students who are participating in it. Take us through that in a little bit more detail and, and how the program's structured, who it's designed for, who it's appealing to, to come along and get involved and then get that interaction going. So last year, we started it around May and it ran for about six weeks. We typically had about uh, teams of about three to five, maybe six students uh, put together. Of course, we want people to be passionate about uh, the project, but we also want to make sure that we're getting a variety of skills so that the project delivery can be as best as possible because there is no point getting five students who do finance on a financial modeling project. You might need some people who are better at math. You might need some people who are better at finding things, so research. So all of these things were things that we took into consideration uh, during the application process. I suppose that 
in terms of that, that's mainly how the program ran last year. And then after six weeks, we had a Shark Tank competition where the students would come with their teams and they would pitch in front of us. And we did manage to make it in person even during COVID. And we rented a room somewhere and we had the teams come in one by one. But hopefully this year we can run it all in one go with all the startups there and everything. We essentially want to make it like a closing night and that's what it's meant to be. Last year was just a little bit hard with that. But we we often get judges from very prestigious institutions. We tend to give a judging seat to our sponsors. We also tend to get people from very prominent positions like uh, the director or the deputy director of the George Institute. Uh, she came and she judged technology consulting program night as well. And we also try to have a couple of catch-up sessions with the teams during the program. But I suppose that was a bit difficult because uh, we were very strained for resources last year in terms of manpower. But we had, I think, two catch-up sessions with each team just to see how it was going for the first one. And then the second one to try and prepare them for their presentation. At the very start, you just put your application in and you choose the projects you like most. So there was, I think, 10 different projects you could choose from, from six different companies. And we had... A lot of different variants. There was one financial modeling, one with robotics, one with just making animations, one with marketing. The people we had applying was varied from science, engineering, commerce, and it was great to see all the range. Once we selected all the people we wanted, there was over 100 applicants and we could only choose 30. And after that, we saw a high caliber of students and we got them to meet with their respective mentors or people they are consulting for. And after that, we just said, hey, it's two days or three days of work a week, whatever you've managed or whatever the you've been prescribed by your boss, I'll call it. After that, they worked, had weekly meetings, and it was all online. For this year, we hope to make it hybrid. So you can go in one day, stay at home for the next two days, so you can actually gain a sense of what is the workplace meet other people other than just the person having a Zoom conference with. And then from there, you can keep working and you have a team that you can always contact, just like the workforce. And yeah, it was great. At the end of it, we had a shark tank and it was really, really interesting because I'd never done anything like it before. I just watched shark tank videos on YouTube and I was expecting to make them buy my product for like $20,000. And then obviously there was no money for them to give me, just not that much, of course. And at the end, I really gained a lot of insight from just seeing how people could ask questions when they had no idea about the program because the judges, they had no, no idea about anything in terms of our projects, but we really had to present and showcase that we had done something valuable and really meaningful for the company. Very good. And some of the, uh, are there any success stories you can talk to that translated the uh, TCP program and actually went off and started being implemented in production in a particular business or moved it out into a startup? In terms of success stories for the students, there were a couple of students who received internships with the startups that they were consulting uh, for following the program. And there were at least three products which were then put into production or were then used for their modeling or things like that, depending on the product that, that was made. But I'm not sure how much we're allowed to talk about that because company uh, sensitive information and things like that. That makes sense. Uh, but so rounding that 
TCP discussion off. If there are organisations out there in the healthcare field, whether they're technology companies or service providers, and they're looking for ways to address a problem, perhaps they've identified an opportunity and they want to actually put a prototype together or a proof of concept or or get some uh, groundwork in to see whether something might be viable uh, in actually putting it out. That would be a good fit for the TCP to come along and speak to either of you about engaging in the next round. This is the perfect place to start. Yep. Yep, definitely. And we'll be happy to take on projects from any sort of area, so long as the company is sort of based in the med tech field. We would be happy to take financial, marketing, coding, whatever, so long as it's something that students could actually use their uni skills for, not just grunt work. Mm. That's really important to highlight that the project itself doesn't have to be a medical or biomedical project, but the company has to have some kind of ties to the medical industry because that's basically what we do. And just touching on that definition of med tech, what, what do you describe as med tech? That's a good question. I suppose... MedTech is medical technology. Any company which kind of deals with anything like that in terms of making sure that the medical services that we are able to provide to society and people in Australia or anywhere else in the world is being innovative and uh, people are working to improve what's currently there to raise the standard and improve livelihoods. The reason I bring that up is uh, because uh, traditionally the med tech has been associated with a device that's used in a clinical setting, uh, and that could range you know, from hospital settings to diagnostic settings, for example, uh, imaging, testing, and the like. But now we have digital health, and digital health is an emerging idea. I think it's got a long runway ahead of it. Uh, foundational level, it's about supporting communications and exchange of healthcare information between different points of care. In the long run, it's about potentially uh, reimagining approaches to therapeutics and interventions that incorporate digitally-based tools, applications, education, engagement. Are, are they sort of covered by your definition? Are, are you sort of focusing more on healthcare outcomes and how to improve healthcare, uh, the health providers and their patients? Or is it sort of more combined to the device side of things? Definitely, we would be, op- we would be open to that because... Currently, we are not confirmed yet, but we are reaching out to one company who is dealing with exactly digital health. So as long as it is somewhat health-related because our society is medical innovation. Yeah, but naturally, it's uh, it, it, you know just designing uh, medical innovation or health tech innovation is not devoid of having to build good business models and communication strategies and scalable uh, operating systems to support it's easy to sort of look at health tech purely through a clinical lens, but at the end of the day, whatever good or service you're introducing into the economy, it's going to need customer service, it's going to need warranty, it's going to need support, it's going to need marketing, communication, education. There's a whole host of skills and capabilities that are needed in and around the actual medical breakthrough or the clinical breakthrough or the particular IP that may have some clinical relevance as well. Is that sort of aligned with your own thinking and is that kind of why you were qualifying earlier as saying as long as it's associated with med tech, even if it's other types of work in and around it? I think you really hit the hammer on the nail there. It's really important for us to recognize that med tech businesses don't run solely off of uh, people who are technically smart in med tech, so like doctors and biomedical engineers. They also need business people. They also need lawyers. They need all kinds of people to be able to run their businesses because that's what all businesses do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's really near and dear to my own thoughts and feelings around it. Um, a big part of the Health Tech X approach or methodology is built around four perspectives generally. And that is uh, to look at the health tech challenge through the eyes of the health provider, through the eyes of the developer, through the eyes of a subject matter expert, which might include a researcher, an advisor, a lawyer, somebody who understands the regulations or law or funding guidelines or, you know, those, those niche kind of expertise layers within all industry. And of course, the fourth category is uh, the investor who ultimately is uh, looking to find a, a sustainable way to, to bring that particular solution together as well. I think that's a really important part, certainly in my experience over the years. If you're biased in any one of those areas and you don't surround yourself with the skills to cover the other areas, I think you're increasing your odds of failure. I think that's a really important lesson that I learned in my life as a founder and as a, as a startup entrepreneur. It's to basically you know, know what you're great at focus on that, but know what you're not great at and surround yourself with that. And I think that's a really important part of selecting the right co-founders. What are your thoughts on that? When you, when you talked about selecting the right co-founders, that's something that's, uh, that really resonated with me in terms of the TCP uh, technology consulting program and also the hackathon that we, that we run every year because year in and year out, we see teams forming and we see how the people interact and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And that's just the nature of life. You have to find the right uh, team to fit in. And that's, I think, more important than the product or the project or the company that you're working for or with. With um, the hackathons, as Alexis mentioned, we had one company, a winner. They actually became a company and they kept going with their own team, lasted a while. So I think it's called SoundSense. And they made quite a lot of progress, made a lot of headlines in the news, surprisingly, just from being in our hackathon. And then they met their team. They were like, hey, why don't we just keep going on with this? And it was great to see that. Yeah, 100%. I, I think uh, I offer that as a lot of as advice and recommendation to collaborators within the Health Tech X community. Recruit your co-founders. Too many founders think that starting up is, you know, doing a really nice PowerPoint presentation and showing up at pitch nights. That's not it. And if it was, we wouldn't have a, you know, depending on who you speak to, a 97% failure rate to raise capital using that particular methodology. So if you want a really low probability way of getting a successful startup, don't surround yourself with good quality skills and capabilities in your co-founders. Leverage friendship networks over actually recruiting people who have demonstrated skills, capabilities and experience either academically or in their commercial endeavours. And don't build a product. Just uh, do a PDF or a PowerPoint and talk about your passion if only somebody gave you a few million dollars to enact it with, right? But what I see with a lot of collaborations that don't go well, it usually comes about because uh, there, there is one person who has a strong vision and a lot of energy for it, but they don't make the right choices in terms of who they surround themselves with. And as a result, they are restricting their own strength because they have to diversify their focus in order to deal with all those other things that are needed in, a, uh, in getting a, a startup going. So it's not just a product. It's actually developing a cultural foundation for success, you know, within your startup. Are these kind of things that have um, a relationship with uh, your own experiences and, and perhaps what you're actually observing through the TCP at the moment? So yeah, definitely I can see that people have either tried their startup with our hackathons. We've seen a lot of people going hard with their project. And then at the end of the 
week, they're just like, ah, oh, that was a bit tough. Not too sure if I'm able to go through. And then the team sort of slowly falls apart with that. What we've seen, though, is that people who persevere, keep going, and the team's like, yeah, this is jellying well. Let's try it. They end up doing well. And especially the people who go on to go with work with our sponsor, the UNSW Founders, they really tend to gain advantages to everything that they offer and really start to grow at that point. So tell us a little bit about that. So the the UNSW founders that, that you just alluded to there, what is that and, and what's the relationship to SOMI? UNSW founders is our main sponsor and they work together with the George Institute for Global Health. What they do is they essentially help accelerate med tech startups. So if you have an idea, you go pitch it to them and then they'll say, hey, I think that can work out. They'll help you work out through your startup, help you with mentoring, peer-to-peer networking, see if you can find some co-founders, help you gain access to actual machinery and stuff so you can use the makerspace at UNSW to help with your actual project. And also just in general advice of, uh, hey, my team is not doing so well right now. What do you think I should do? They'll help out with that. So it's a real startup hub facilitating a lot of growth. And they have been instrumental in our ability to succeed with the projects and programs that we provide. They've given us a huge startup network to be able to access. And I think that over half of the startups that we signed on board for the technology consulting program last year were from founders. What do you hope to see uh, in the world of medtech over the next five to 10 years from uh, Somi's point of view? That I would say... There's a few main goals we have with SOMI. As we said, the first one is to help students actually believe that medtech is a viable field and also get them experience in the in the early years. But another one is just making it more accessible for startups to actually become companies and grow. Because as Alexa said, it's like 20 years. You need to go through all these little procedures just to get established and make sure your product can actually become in the market. We want to just sort of accelerate the process, obviously not at the risk of health risks and stuff, but we want to make sure that people can actually have access to grow their startups, grow themselves as individuals and really make an impact in the medical sector. And I think at some point, especially for SOMI, we had an idea to combine all of these society of medical innovations from other universities Unfortunately, or fortunately, we do have the biggest branch at UNSW, which is probably the most resourceful and the one that actually provides the most uh, programs for the most people. But I'd personally like to see all of these universities have their own SOMIs and grow together and be able to maybe even do kind of conferences or symposiums on a state or national scale so that we can actually deliver even more opportunities to more students and companies. I hope the same as well, Alexia. I think it's really important to sort of open ourselves up to new ways of doing things. And I'm a real strong believer in the uh, co-design, co-create approach where you've got to create a, a community approach, uh, I guess, to, to bring those various organisations and individuals into a common place, you know, a, a melting pot of sorts where those relationships can build and then, you know, the right type of relationships can be attracted to each other to be able to tackle the problems. You know, this show is called Reimagining Healthcare and part of the vision for Health Tech X is to achieve a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. That's not a set and forget idea. It's basically a 
continuous improvement mindset where the innovations today are augmented by the innovations tomorrow and and we start to build out a more comprehensive approach for individuals, you and I, people, to be able to access healthcare and engage with healthcare and commit to healthcare as well, you know, to overcome the access issues, to overcome the adherence issues, to overcome the uh, education issues and those behavioural changes so that the majority of us enjoy good health for as long as possible. And on the other side of the fence, I think also, uh, you know, because health talks a lot about the consumer, it talks a lot about the patient, talks a lot about the participant. But we also need to innovate so that we're also making it better for our qualified healthcare professionals as well, so that we're not burning them out, we're not overburdening them with too many things to do that make it unattractive or perhaps restrictive for them to commit to a a long-term career in the field because of how difficult it is to engage with it. So we've got to get that both sides of that, you know, right. I think that's where the, the health tech, the med tech, the the healthcare innovation from a technology standpoint has a real opportunity. It's to scale healthcare beyond that one-on-one personal exertion type model where we can actually make it easier for everyone to achieve the healthcare goal and enjoy working in healthcare for a long time and enjoy being a recipient of healthcare services as well. And that's why we need more innovation. We need, we need people to actually really be attacking these things from a, a variety of different points of view so I, I say uh, congratulations on the program. SOMI, I think, is a little over 900 student members now. Are you restricted to students from the University of New South Wales? Or are you um, looking at any other communities for people to get involved with SOMI? For our membership itself with the university, we can only allow students from the University of New South Wales to join. Yep. But we always encourage students from other universities to come to our events and interact with the startups and even apply for our technology consulting program. I think that other other students from other universities can also apply. Yeah, so you're, so you're collaborating with others, but to be a member, you've got to be part of the um, uh, University of New South Wales. And you're in your second year now with the uh, technology consulting program, looking for organisations who really want support from skilled capable emerging rock stars for startups and other med tech type initiatives get involved early and potentially solve a problem that turns into a commercial success potentially find some employees through internship other participation in uh, in the workforce for some of those organizations as well it's a real credit to you both for uh, pursuing this and and uh, taking it to the next level because i think think there'll be a lot of organizations out there whether they're healthcare providers or whether they're med tech technology organizations who would be listening to this and would find it appealing to connect with uh, somi and look at you know forming some of those collaborations whether it's uh, you know research or whether it's a proof of concept an mvp a short consulting piece it's a great initiative congratulations to you both and i look forward to hearing more about so me in time and and obviously your own careers thank you yanni really appreciate it thanks for listening this podcast is produced in collaboration with health tech x where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people if you'd like more info on how to get involved head over to the website healthtechx.com.au or if you have any feedback about the show You can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. 
It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode. Music